Hey there, it's me, Malika. For the next few episodes, I'm handing over the microphone to my colleague, Patty Sabga, to let her share some things about the economy you'll want to know. Americans have some of the highest rates of student debt in the world. Thomas Gokey is one of them. He's an artist, educator, activist, and a debtor. The high water mark for me personally was about $70,000 in student debt. And that's sort of undergrad and grad together. Currently, I've got about $37,000 worth of debt. What Thomas owes now is close to the norm for many student debtors. I don't have kids. I, I can't afford kids. I don't own a house. I'm not sure if I ever will. The new American dream is to just have zero dollars, no debt. It's no longer like having a house or starting a family. It's just having zero dollars would be an accomplishment. The price tag on all U.S. student loan debt is over $1.6 trillion. And 92% of it belongs to the federal government. That means President Joe Biden could erase that debt with a stroke of a pen. And there's a growing call by activists and some politicians for him to do just that. As Biden takes a victory lap after Congress passed his massive $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package, activists are ready for the next fight, pushing him to cancel student debt. I'm Patricia Sabga, filling in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I want to really start with your journey because so many young people went to a financial aid office, signed a couple of papers, and really didn't appreciate what it was they were signing up for. How did your journey begin? The first time I signed that paperwork, I was 18 or 19 years old, just out of high school. And I think I did have some sense that my body rebelled against the idea of going into debt. But everyone who loved and cared for me, my parents, my teachers, my guidance counselor, they all told me, don't worry about it. This is quote unquote good debt and you'll get a great job and you'll pay it off. And, you know, they had this lived experience that was very different from how the system had become in in the gap between us. A generation ago, in the early 1990s, the average student debt burden was around $12,400. One reason that amount has skyrocketed is because tuition has shot up along with it. According to the College Board, tuition in the last 30 years has increased by roughly 100 to 200 percent for private and public universities. That's far more than the rate of inflation, not to mention the rate of wage increases. Thomas says things shifted for him when he started teaching at Syracuse University. My students, when I started teaching, were about 10 years younger than I was. But just in that 10-year gap, things had changed so dramatically, especially after the financial crisis and state budgets had been cut and tuition just skyrocketed to make up the, the gap. Students 10 years younger than I was were being asked to take on twice as much student debt as I had to take on. The Great Recession accelerated the debt crisis even further, as more people decided to wait it out by enrolling in higher education. We've been keeping up with the ongoing shocks to the American economy. The real estate bubble going pop, credit card debt, the bank mess far and wide. Now there is a new headache coming to a family near you. 
rising defaults on student loans. With a housing crisis, you can foreclose houses. The banks can do so. You can't foreclose a diploma. At the start of the Great Recession, December 2007, outstanding student loans were just shy of $600 billion. Ten years later, that tab had doubled to over $1.2 trillion. And I was just puzzling over where does that money go? I see the education I'm able to provide, but it seems like it shouldn't cost as much as it does, or it should be funded in a different way. Because I knew I wasn't getting paid very well. As an adjunct, I was getting paid a little bit less than minimum wage. So that really, it became a a problem to solve, how to understand the system. So tell me about how you made the leap from feeling ashamed of your debt and not talking about your debt to getting involved in the fight for student loan debt relief and forgiveness. For me personally, it it happened with Occupy. When Occupy started and within a couple days of being in Zuccotti Park, it was like a switch flipped in my brain. Individually, our debts isolate us, they make us alone, but together we have enormous power. It's the point of contact between us and the state. It's a point of contact between us and Wall Street. And if we organize collectively, we can take back a lot of that power from both the state and Wall Street. After 2011, Occupy Wall Street spun off into various other initiatives, including one focused on student loan debt. They purchased millions of dollars of private student debt and paid it off in what they called a debt jubilee. Then they launched a debt strike. Fifteen former students of the former for-profit Corinthian College's system have launched what they say is the nation's first student debt strike. The Debt Collective helped students fight back against predatory lending, for-profit colleges, and even took on the federal government. Thousands of dollars in debt, dozens of college students striking back. They claim they got duped into borrowing the money and never got the education they were promised. It's a move against not only the schools, but the federal government, too. And as a result of that strike, we've won over a billion dollars worth of debt cancellation. And we expect that we're about to win several billions, maybe even hundreds of billions more, simply through that the, the long wake of that initial strike. For the last four years, it's all been tangled up in the courts. But now we have the opportunity with the incoming administration. You put out these figures and, and they are impressive, but then you weigh that against the scale of the problem and you're chipping away at it. But at some point though, what's it going to take to really bring that wall of debt down? You're absolutely right that as millions of dollars, billions of dollars of cancellation. These are real victories and and they're worth celebrating, but they are a drop in the bucket of the big problem. But we really could, Joe Biden could, with a few signatures, cancel about $1.5 trillion worth of student debt. And then Congress really could pass legislation to fully fund higher education moving forward. It's affordable, we have the money to do it. What's lacking is the political will, and that's where I feel like the 45 million people with student debt getting organized to build that grassroots pressure to get the political will that we're lacking in Congress. I think that's what it's going to take to to really address the root issue. 
In Congress, the political will to bring relief to student debtors is slowly gaining momentum. Several Democratic leaders in the Senate are calling for the Biden administration to let debtors write off $50,000 worth of their federal student loans. And a provision they included in the just-passed economic stimulus bill would make it easier to do that. Now, at this point, you may be asking a simple question. With tuition costs skyrocketing and the economy knocked sideways by the COVID pandemic, why can't people who really can't pay off their loans just declare bankruptcy? In 2005, under President Bush, a a bankruptcy reform act passed that was really written by the credit card companies and the banks. So one of the things that changed is that it became very difficult to cancel student debt and private student debt in bankruptcy. In fact, in some parts of the country, the standard you had to meet was called the certainty of hopelessness, which I think is just this beautiful poetic term. The bar to prove a certainty of hopelessness is a tough one to clear, which ironically can make student debtors feel even more hopeless about their prospects for ever clearing their debt. The bankruptcy law is a key piece of today's student debt crisis, and one of its architects is the new U.S. president, Joe Biden. And this is one of the big ironies of a Biden administration is that if he is successful, it means sort of undoing everything he spent his life up to this point doing. You know, we live in the hell that Joe Biden built, and now he's promising to undo some of that damage. We know that in the 21st century, 12 years of schooling is not enough, and that young people are getting crushed by the burden of student debt. The Debt Collective is organizing to raise public pressure for student debt relief. The day of Biden's inauguration, they launched a debt strike of 100 students to call on Biden to cancel student loans during his first 100 days in office. They've also launched a debtor's union, not just for student loans, but also for housing and medical debt. There's a lot of work to do, and this is a moment to do it. If ever a debtor's union is going to get off the ground, it is this moment. We're creating something that's new. It's on the model of a labor union, but there's a lot of room to imagine what a debtor's union can look like and can be and can do for people to flourish and not be forced into debt to meet their basic needs. Some progress on student debt relief has been made since Biden took office. Roughly 72,000 people defrauded by for-profit colleges who received only partial debt relief under the Trump administration could now see all of that debt forgiven. And the path to total cancellation of all federal student debt got a little easier this month with the passage of the $1.9 trillion stimulus package. It contains a provision that exempts any federal student loan amount that's wiped out from becoming taxable income, at least for the next few years. That means in future, people won't have to pay any taxes on outstanding federal student loan balances that are forgiven. So many people want Biden to cancel all federal student debt. Meanwhile, some Democratic senators want him to write off $50,000 worth per debtor. But Biden has said he can't go that far. I'm prepared to write off the $10,000 debt, um, but not 50. I don't think I have the authority to do it by sign of the pen. Other lawmakers do think Biden has the authority, but he's sticking with the proposals he floated on the campaign trail. That plan involves free tuition for people attending public universities whose families earn less than $125,000 a year. And the $10,000 he mentioned is the amount of debt relief he plans to ask Congress for 
in exchange for a year of public service. That can go up to $50,000 over five years. I asked Thomas if he thinks that plan is enough. No, Biden's plan is is a really bad plan. And when you read it, it really is like reading the terms and conditions of a Comcast bill. If you put Dr. Seuss and, and Kafka and Walt Disney in a room and said, make the most complicated and ridiculous student debt plan, they couldn't have done what Joe Biden came up with. The good news is that Congress can go in a different direction and Joe Biden really can cancel all federal student debt with a few signatures. So I think that's the only real solution. And I think it's time for us to be mature and realistic and have common sense and say, let's actually solve the issue. I do want to play devil's advocate for a second. Now, there's some economists who would argue that this would go a long way toward alleviating a lot of hardship, especially when you take in consideration all of the student loan debtors and when you take a look at their average outstanding balances. $10,000 is a lot of money. You know, it would be an unprecedented victory in the sense that nothing like this has ever happened before. And for people who have less than $10,000 of student debt, and this brings them to zero, it will be life-changing. Absolutely. A lot of people who default on their student loans have small balances. You don't need these giant balances in order to go into default. People default on $500 of student debt. So wiping out the $10,000 would go some distance towards relieving that. But for people who have, you know, 60, $70,000 worth of student debt or more, which is very, very common, $10,000 of cancellation is the equivalent of canceling nothing. That money will come back in interest in a year or two. It, It will change nothing, nothing at all. As Thomas says, even a smaller cancellation of student debt would be unprecedented. And there are lots of ways to look at the impact it might have on the broader economy. We spoke to two people who are doing just that. I'm Neil McCluskey, and I'm the director of the Center for Educational Freedom at the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a national libertarian-oriented think tank in Washington, D.C., I'm Suzanne Kahn. I'm the Director of Education, Jobs, and Worker Power at the Roosevelt Institute. First, let's look at the crisis itself. From Neil's perspective, even the word crisis is debatable. We've really got to put this in the proper context, which is that many people take on debt and earn a whole lot more money as a result of getting those degrees. And for them, this isn't a crisis. That average person who may have gone to grad school has around $36,000 in debt. Now, that seems like a lot, but we have to put that in context. The average college graduate from a four-year college will make about $1 million more over their lifetime than someone with just a high school diploma. That means that debt, that loans they took out, are a good investment because you're investing in yourself. So if we're going to use the term crisis, it's much more the very low-end debtor than the high-end debtors. How much university graduates go on to earn isn't set in stone. The U.S. Education Department recently cut its projections of borrowers' future incomes by 35%. That's because they were earning, quote-unquote, substantially less than expected. But there are also plenty of experts who believe it is rightly called a crisis. Suzanne is one of them. The payoff for a degree, for a BA and for a master's degree has really 
gone down over the years, even as the cost of these degrees has gone up. We call this credentialization. So now it takes a BA to have a job that previously only required a high school degree, or it will take a master's to have a job that used to only require a BA. And that is especially true for Black students and brown students or graduates who uh, often need more degrees to get the same job as a white graduate. That's the way our discriminatory job market works. And so student debt then really exacerbates those existing inequalities. And then the other thing I would say is just the cost of college has risen much faster than wages in general. Another point of contention is how far student debt relief would go in terms of providing an economic stimulus during the coronavirus pandemic. Suzanne says the value of debt relief has been borne out already by last year's stimulus checks. 30% of the money in the first round of payments was used to pay off debts. If stimulus dollars are being used to pay off debt, they're not going back into the economy in a way that actually further stimulates it. One of the reasons that student debt relief has been a popular idea is because it doesn't require legislation. And that's appealing in such a closely divided government. But economically, Neil says the case is less sound. The people hit the hardest by COVID are not people who have college degrees. We're not talking about lawyers. We're not talking about accountants. We're often talking about people who work in food service and in retail. Forgiving college debt does nothing to help those people. So that's the first thing we have to understand is it's very poor COVID relief. Neil also points out that student loan repayments have been suspended through September of this year. But regardless of the pandemic, Suzanne says data suggests that student debt relief would benefit the economy. If we're looking at the economy more broadly, student loans have prevented people from buying homes, from starting families, from doing the things that really drive the American economy. One study I think about a lot looked at a totally random sample of people who had their debt being serviced by a particular servicer that made an error. A judge canceled it all. Suzanne says the study discovered that their geographic mobility increased, their job mobility increased, and ultimately their income increased by around $3,000 over a three-year period. They were less stuck in their jobs, in their homes. Lots of people moved back in with their parents as they're trying to pay off student debt. So they were able to take better jobs and increased job mobility means you can increase your wages and get a better start to or restart to your career. Neither Neil nor Suzanne saw many positives in Biden's student debt relief plan. For Neil, the plan was too much. For Suzanne, not enough. To President Biden, this could be taken as a sign of a good compromise. But the debt collective student debtors on strike are willing to put their credit, which defines their lives, on the line to fight it. Part of what makes debt such an effective tool for social control is that it makes us feel isolated, alone, and that it's somehow our fault that we had to go into debt. And what I want everyone to know is that your personal debt is political. It's a result of policy failures. It's a part of choices that benefit the 1%. And one of the things that we've done since the beginning is organize these debtors' assemblies where people just talk about the role that that plays in their life. For a lot of people, they've never had the opportunity to do that because there's been so much shame. And so just that experience of talking openly about it can be really powerful. We've seen people physically shake and weep and 
it, it creates new kinds of bonds. And I think that's what a debtor's union does. It creates new kinds of bonds, hopefully ones in which we're all better off for them. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Nagin Oliai, Dina Kesbe, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Patricia Sabga, filling in for Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. Steve Lack mixed this episode. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs>